0: say I'm understudy, might say I'm over the top, but there's like no green water, so the pop is overstocked, they say amazing grace. Hello everybody, I'm back from hiatus temporarily, not permanently, but I will be back for the second season, coming soon, do a podcast near you. But I wanted to jump in and say, hey, I wanted to share some thoughts under the umbrella of what I'm going to call Tanya's Tidbits. And hopefully that will not be sexually misconstrued. But Tanya's tidbits are going to basically be things that I've observed while I am officially on hiatus. Thoughts I want to share. Things I would like you to think about. Cautions I want to send your way. All in the spirit of keeping the conversation going while I rest and restore. I've been doing a lot on Instagram and the Facebook page. Uh, In particular, I started um, uh, the body uh, body, hashtag body image project, uh, which is about my body image and my relationship to my body. And one of the things I'm going to be exploring in season two is black women bodies and our relationship to our bodies and uh, the idea of taking up space in the world. And so that's a series that I'm doing on Insta at Tanya's Take. Take a look at that. Uh, So anyways, I've been um, communicating uh, on the social media pages, but I also wanted to come back and say hey and talk about something specific that uh, I just want to sort of share a revelation I have had. And the revelation I have had is that Facebook groups cannot exist without agitation and if they break down due to agitation they should stay broken down. Now I'll try to sort of walk you through what I'm talking about. So I'm a member of a number of Facebook pages and The thing about, or I'm sorry, not Facebook pages. So the Tanya's Take Facebook page is a page that I am the sole administrator. So that's a page. And then there's Facebook groups, which is a community of people who care, who share a common thread, but don't necessarily know each other in person, right? So you have, you know, Facebook groups that are um, the parents in a particular school district or vegans or mom groups or workout buddy groups. There's all sorts of variations of Facebook groups out there. And the way those work is they usually have one or two administrators who are responsible for, um, they are the port of entry in terms of letting people into the group. Sometimes there's like a survey of things you have to answer before you're officially let in the group. Uh, Sometimes the administrators hopefully will create specific guidelines about, you know, expectations for how group members uh, treat each other. They turn on or off the option for anybody to post content or strictly them, so on and so forth. So, uh, I am a member of a number of these groups and I was usually added which um either meant I got a notice that I was added and then I could fill this survey out if I wanted to be in the group or sometimes I, I'm just automatically added which I don't exactly know how that works and you have to actually unjoin if you're not interested in the group. I want to talk about some of the groups I'm a part of within my community. So I'm in Um, a group that is essentially the district parents. I'm in a group of moms, and I am in an anti-racism group. So here's what I've noticed. Anytime agitation happens in this group of people who don't necessarily know each other, outside of the anti-racist group, right? Because in the anti-racist group, the The point is to provoke and to have conversations around race and to point out bias and, you know, to get down and dirty in terms of uh, talking about inequities. But in these other groups that exist because of the common thread of we all have kids in the district or, you know, we're all moms in the community, they have existed to some degree without agitation around race for a lo- as long as I had been in them but recently and I've spoken about some of the um, people from this anti-racist group I'm a part of kind of swooping in at various times agitating agitating in a good way right challenging bias challenging the status quo um talking about and pointing out coded language uh, calling people to do some uh, self-reflection and think about impact versus intent. And what has happened when those challenges are thrown down is there's a lot of defensiveness and there's a lot of back and forth and back and forth and a lot of hurt feelings. And I talked about in one episode how that resulted in the admin and one of the groups throwing up her hands and saying, I'm going on hiatus and shutting down the group. I'll be back. And then she did come back, and she added um, some multiple perspectives to the admin group, and it has carried on somewhat. But I don't know if it has carried on in a way where the agitation is welcome uh, and whether productive change because of the agitation, can take place. Because what happens, I've noticed in a lot of these groups, so what happens is there's sort of stages um, that these groups go through when there's been a disruption. So there's the agitation, there's the defensiveness, and then there's usually the breakdown of a group, the I'm going on hiatus. If there isn't, or I'm shutting everything down, I quit. Right. And then everybody's grappling, like, who's going to run this group? Who's going to be the admin? Another thing that happens is, uh, okay, let's add multiple perspectives. Right. But then whatever system is broken due to the agitation, the anger, the defensive, defensiveness, the confusion. The person who brings the multiple perspective then sort of becomes responsible to fix all of that right? And if they aren't able to fix it, somehow that becomes a representation of um, the agitation being the problem rather than the defensiveness, if that makes sense. So I've been watching a number of Facebook groups that I'm a part of now break down, get to that point where the original admin wants to quit, and then either multiple perspectives are supposedly brought on to take over. Um, the other thing that happens is the satellite groups form, right? So uh, the group breaks down, and people who still want the information they can get the group are like, well, let's just form our own group, and then, like, two or three new groups form, Um and then whatever was supposed to be accomplished in the original group now is supposedly being accomplished in these satellite groups where agitation is more welcome or is supposedly going to be more welcome or the idea and notions of anti-racism uh, are allowed to be a part of the conversation. So some people might argue, well, that's all well and good. But I, I think that's a problem as opposed to recognizing that the system broke down for a reason, and perhaps it needs to stay broke. And ultimately, perhaps we need to get offline, right? And that's sort of my biggest take, is I am beginning to see the dysfunction in these groups that are created by communities who cannot withstand in any way any kind of agitation. And if there is agitation, the system breaks, and then the satellites form. And there's no forward motion in terms of actually dealing with systemic issues. And there's no way to sort of hold ourselves to the fire within the structure that's already been built. Because it has to take place within the system. Right. Because then it's reaching the people who are upholding the system. If the groups continually break off, then it's just about echo chambers and preaching to the choir. I have stopped participating in these groups. I think I'm going to be turning off notifications for these groups. Because what starts to happen is it becomes activism as a spectator sport, right? So it starts to feel like every time you see so-and-so commented in such-and-such group, you go and you see what the conversation is and you get sort of entrenched in the fight, uh, but you aren't doing anything to necessarily really change. And there's only so much you can do in a comment on a Facebook page, right? And I'm gonna really start thinking about what can I actually do in my community in person? How can I stop relying on the information these groups supposedly provided for me and hit the ground, you know, put foot to the pavement and have these conversations in person, in real time, or live without them. But I believe that if we want community, we have to physically be in the community, and that what's happening now all over, I think, is that these Facebook groups form and give this sense of community that is false and actually brings community, breaks community further apart once any type of anti-racism work takes place. And why all this focus on Facebook communities? Because let's face it, Facebook communities have replaced real communities. I am more familiar with people in my Facebook communities than I am when I actually see them in the community. So, think about it. Are you in a Facebook group currently? Whatever you do, whatever walk of life you come from, whatever interests has brought you to a group... Have you noticed whether its members have multiple perspectives? Have you noticed whether anybody has the courage to agitate around racial bias, unconscious bias, microaggressions, coded language? Are any of those conversations taking place? Because if they're not taking place, then you are living in a bubble, right? Just recognize that. You are existing in a community online, granted, that... Is shutting you out from the conversation that needs to happen for change. So, what do you do in that case? Do you become the agitator? Are you willing to become the agitator? And the agitator becomes unpopular fast. And the way this type of work works is the agitator becomes the problem. And In order for the group to continue or thrive, the agitator has to become the problem. The behavior can't be the problem. Otherwise, they'd have to look inward and self-reflect. And so are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for being the agitator? If not, and if it's not happening within the group, is this really a group you want to be in if you claim that you want to be anti-racist? If you claim you want to be an accomplice? So new word, by the way, rather than ally, which is a person who understands an issue, we're, I'm going to start shifting the language to accomplices because accomplices start to put plans in action to change whatever situation they see needs change. And so I'm going to start talking to you all as accomplices rather than allies. And this is something recently that I picked up. And so as soon as I hear it, I turn around, I, I send it right back out to you, and I hope it has a domino effect and that the next conversation you might have, rather than using the word ally, go ahead and use accomplice. And if anybody asks what you mean, you can talk in terms of it's about putting plans, coming up with plans and putting plans in action. I wanted to share an article I came across that really sort of articulates a lot of what I think had been stirring in me about these Facebook groups. I had witnessed and seen some things that uh, really bothered me, which was making me feel less and less apt to want to participate. I've seen people of color stepping forward, trying to add multiple perspectives, and I've seen them get ostracized. I've seen activism uh wrapped in bullying tactics and uh it it was really sitting with me wrong but I was also grappling with you know why am I feeling less and less compelled to participate what's going on am I you know not really in it to win it uh anyways this article speaks to uh articulates, I think, the reasons I might have been having these feelings. And it's uh, really good guidelines uh, for folks in the fight. Uh, and it's called Six Signs Your Call Out is About Ego and Not Accountability. It's by Maisha Z. Johnson. It's from the website The Body Is Not An Apology. Uh, and the first thing is, uh, and all of it is all about... Um, the notion of performing activism, which sometimes can start to supersede actual activism. Um, And I think that that can take place on Facebook communities frequently. So the first one is you're not focused on the outcome. Um, And that has to do with ultimately really feeling committed to getting somebody to see your point of view, but um, not really knowing what you want from them in return. That was the first one. Number two, you're not choosing your battles based on what's best for the community involved. Uh, you think it might be, you know, with a community focus. But in the long run, if it's pushing for something in a way that isn't ultimately going to create the change, you have to consider that. Three, you're using the same strategy for every situation. Um. Acts of oppression are not all the same, and each unique situation has a different set of strategies that would be most effective. Uh, You're centering yourself on behalf of another group, and that has to do with, you know, uh, trying to loan your activism to another oppressed group, but centering yourself within it. So it's kind of a variation of the white savior trope. And in this case, I don't think you necessarily have to be white to be um, guilty of it. Uh, number five, you're engaging in respectability po- politics to police other people's behavior by shaming and judging each other. Um, we can fall into a terrible pattern of standing against shame and judgment by shaming and judging. That's a good one. Uh, let's see. And number six, you're trying to force someone to be accountable. Uh, and she says that accountability is super important. Um, Without it, we wouldn't be able to learn or grow or take responsibility. But unfortunately, asking someone to be accountable doesn't come with a guarantee that they will be. And if you're so set on holding someone accountable, you feel like it's your job to make them atone for what they've done. You're forgetting that it's actually their responsibility. So I think all of those are really great. And again, that's on a website called The Body Is Not an Apology. And again, the title of it is... Six signs your call out is about ego and not accountability. So, you know, I've got a few big asks in this particular Tanya's tidbit. And uh, the quick takeaways to remind you are whatever Facebook communities you are participating in, are they existing without ag- agitation? If they're existing without agitation, they should not exist because they're not reality. If they're existing with agitation, are you participating in agitating in positive, constructive ways? And if you find yourself in those situations where the agitation is happening and a system breaks down, consider whether you'd want to join one of these satellite groups or whether actually you have to take a look at why it broke and get back into the community in physical real time. And then also just to think about um, how you're advocating, what your tactics are, look to the individual. People who are not anti-racist are not a monolith. And it takes specific, nuanced, intentional work to create change. All right. Go to Tanya's Take on Instagram. And also, I'm still on the Facebook page. Let me know you're out there. And um, meanwhile, on hiatus, I've been doing yoga. And I feel really strong and awesome. And I really needed it at the end of season one because my body was like seized up with stress and pain that just comes with being in this anti-racism fight. But I've been doing a lot of self-care, and one of them has been yoga. So if any of y'all have any recommendations for vinyasa yoga videos, DVDs, because I'm going to be doing some traveling, let me know on the Facebook page. All right. In the meantime, take care, self-care, fight the good fight, be the change in the conversation. Maybe you're all wrong, amazing grace, thank you Lord, Bobblehead. sugar pop, work a lot, it's never sweet.